Thanks for tuning in. I'm Steve Ray, author of How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And in this podcast, I'm going to share with you some of the lessons I've learned from 30 years in the wine and spirits business, helping brands enter and grow in the U.S. market. I've heard it said that experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. My goal with the book and this podcast is to share my experience and the lessons learned from it with you so you can apply those lessons and be successful in America. So let's get into it. Hi, this is Steve Ray, and welcome to this week's edition of the Italian Wine Podcast, the Get U.S. Market Ready version. As those of you who are listening know, I've been audio recording for my book, How to Get U.S. Market Ready. Details on how to order it, go to Amazon.com, or you can go to www.getusmarketready.com. But as I said, this is going to be the last chapter in the book, but we are transitioning to a new concept. And we'll be talking with people who are engaged in the Italian wine business here in America. We're going to be talking to a broad range of people, importers, distributors, independent and chain on-premise operators, retailers, national accounts, journalists, influencers, marketers, as I said, a broad range. And we're going to be cherry picking those that I think not only have something really interesting and novel to say, but also an interesting and novel way to say it. And we're going to add another feature at the end of each of the new series of podcasts asking the person being interviewed for what's the one big takeaway listeners can walk away with from having listened to the podcast that they can put to use immediately. Then lastly, in terms of transitions, next week, which is February 15th, I'll be talking with Stevie Kim. Now, I'm not quite sure if I'm going to be interviewing her or she's going to be interviewing me. We will find out. I'll let you know after. But we thought it would be a good way to kind of deconstruct what we did in the first series, which is about 30 podcasts, transition to the new format. And we're going to end this session with the chapter titled, Don't Make These Mistakes Again for the First Time. And uh, that's a bit of a wry, tongue-in-cheek way of stating that with the many dozens, maybe even hundreds of clients that I've worked with over the years, I find that many of them tend to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Each one doesn't make the same mistake over again, but they repeat the ones that others before them have done. And one of the reasons for writing the book is to say, these are the things that you're probably going to think is the right thing to do, and it's not. So hopefully we can prevent people from doing that. So let's jump right into it, and we'll then segue to our next chapter in the series. I was in Verona at Vinitaly one year, and I tasted a wine that really kind of blew my mind. And I said, wow, this wine from this producer at this price, it could be a winner in the U.S. And I asked him, have you thought about bringing it over? And his response was kind of enlightening. He said, to tell you the truth, I've thought about it, but I'm a bit hesitant. He went on to share a story about other producers he knows that never got paid for the goods that they had shipped, who had been promised distribution and sales that never happened, or who just lost time and money trying to figure out the three-tier system only to be stymied and have none of it work. As I say, that's a story I've heard many, many times before, and the outcome could be very different if suppliers just followed the following guidelines, and that's why I'm sharing them with you. Number one, don't go it alone. Invest in a guide that has experience with the wine and spirit industry in the United States, and particularly working with new-to-the-world or new-to-the-U.S. brands. The U.S. market and its three-tier system can seem Byzantine in complexity, and as many have found, the road is littered with potholes that will trip you up, set you back, and cost you money. One great way to avoid them is to find a guide that will help navigate the process, who is not only experienced in the market itself, but also has expertise launching brands here. The right guide can save a supplier from wasting money doing the wrong things, or even worse, doing the right things, but in the wrong order. 
Number two, don't launch too far or expand too fast. Many companies want to launch in multiple states and expect to be present nationally in the first year. And that's often the recipe for disaster. As we've said before, the U.S. is not one market, it's 52 different markets, and each one has to be considered individually. So we recommend that our clients focus resources on a limited number of accounts in a limited number of markets and learn what works, and then only expand when you can replicate that success on a broader scale. So pick the markets in which it's going to be easiest to develop your case history, and then volume will follow. Number three, anticipate objections and preempt them before they even get asked. Importers and distributors have an arsenal full of reasons why they won't take your brand, starting with, they won't sell in my market, it isn't any different from brand X, I'm not looking for another whatever, vodka, brunello, or whatever the category is that you're in. If I put it in, I have to take something out that I already know is selling, or you don't have a brand ambassador, or the one that everybody always uses, it's too expensive. Those aren't the real objections. Those are the objections they're putting up. And what they're really saying is they want some reassurance from you that the brand will sell, and it will sell better than whatever it is they have on the shelf already that's filling that spot. So knowing that the objections will be raised, the most effective strategy is to preempt them so they never get asked in the first place. And the best way to do that is to build a case history and creatively tell the trade about your success. The end goal being to get them to call you rather than the other way around. And a good example is that we were working with a spirit company, New Rum, and uh, we feel real strongly in, in the value of trade PR. And we had some trade PR running and we ended up having a distributor, the senior person at the distributor, call us up and ask us to come in and make a presentation of the brand. I can tell you that that conversation was entirely different, 180 degrees different from when we're calling and begging for an appointment. Number four, understand that finding an importer is not necessarily your first step. When I ask people what they're looking for, uh, I often get the, the answer, well, I'm looking for an importer. And I tell them, well, I think you're better off saying that you're looking for an importer solution. So often I'll recommend that you're better off starting with a service importer who basically is going to say yes to every brand. And those include MHW, Park Street Imports, Tim Ellen Tenney, and there are a couple of others as well. The reason for that is they work with everybody and you're not limited or stuck with them for any long-term contract. And what this will enable you to do is to focus on building your success case history so that you can go looking for your forever importer once you've already started. The idea here is if you're able to pitch the success you've already had to the importers you want to work with in the long term, you'll end up with more meetings, more options if you can demonstrate success rather than simply promising. So give some serious thought to starting with a service importer. Number five, recognize that building the brand is the supplier and importer's responsibility, more so than the distributor. The reality is very simple. The primary job of the distributor in the United States is to service the market for your brand, meaning warehouse the product and take and fulfill orders from on and off-premise operators. And while distributors certainly will elaborate with importers and producers to promote brands, ultimately the responsibility for driving consumer pull is the supplier and importer's job. So when people come to me and say, I'm looking for an importer to take on my brand and be the ones responsible for marketing and selling it, that's usually where I put the brakes on because that's not the way it works in America. Sorry to say, but that's that's kind of the way it is. Number six, ask WIIFM. By that, I mean, what's in it for me? Recognize that brands have two different audiences and each requires a separate positioning, separate benefit statement or point of difference. Point of difference that makes a difference, as I like to say. The trade wants margin and profits, while the consumer wants romance and glamour and high QPR value. If you can show the trade how your brand will make them money, margin, and market share, they're going to be interested in it a lot more than hearing about the history of the brand or how your grandfather bought the winery after World War II. 
On the other side, when you're talking to the consumer, you're going to be telling a brand story to them that is authentic, unique, and motivating. And your story needs to be one that consumers will enjoy discovering and sharing with their peers, probably over social media. Here's a quick test. If it doesn't generate a smile or tears, your story, go back to the drawing board. Number seven, don't launch while you're still a work in progress. Bottles, liquid, label, marketing, brand ambassadors, if you're going to use them, inventory, all of that has to be complete and available in the U.S. Always be ready to leave a sample bottle when making a sales call and ensure that your website and point of sale materials are ready. Hard copies with you, electronic online. It's imperative that everything is ready and available by the time you have a meeting with your gatekeeper. The worst mistake you can make is to get in front of a gatekeeper and say things like, well, our sales literature is being printed or we're just about to run the liquid. They want to know you're ready to go the day that you're talking to them. Number eight, don't think you can fund growth out of profits. This is a big one. Recognize that you must invest ahead of volume or profitability. Volume and profits will come. In fact, they can only come after a brand has established credibility and traction. Many brands, unfortunately, think that they can support their growth through cash flow generated from the brand in their intro markets. Not only is that unlikely to work, it's often the reason the importer or distributor won't take a brand in the first place, or worse, won't take a meeting in the first place, because it demonstrates your ignorance of the way the market works and what the needs and interests of importers and distributors are. So plan in advance, allocate the capital to support your brands, and then if you are successful and established and then moving on to other markets, don't stop funding the market that's successful in order to fund the new market. You have to feed both. Think about that. You can't just start a market and think it's going to continue at that rate on its own. It's going to require continual marketing support. And whether that's advertising, whether that's PR, whether it's social media or any kind of creative brand promotion idea that you have, it's something that has to continue going on. Number nine, recognize that the U.S. system is different. If you can demonstrate an understanding of the U.S. system and that you have respect for the gatekeepers whose approval and support are needed to get off to a good start, you'll be ahead of the game. And, and really, if you've read the book or listened to this podcast, you know that intuitive. So invest the time to learn things like margin structures, franchise state laws, and the regulations that have a direct impact on strategy. For example, supermarkets in New York do not sell wine and retailers can only have one store. So when an importer or distributor hears a supplier say they want to focus on supermarket chains in New York, it's clear from the very beginning the supplier doesn't understand the market and gee, I shouldn't have taken this meeting in the first place. So the recommendation is read the book and there's other resources like this. But the more you understand about the U.S. market, read the newsletters. And I provide a list of the newsletters in the industry on my website at www.bevologyinc.com. It's the first thing up on the blog, if you click on blog. And finally, number 10, put feet on the street. Now, whether you call them brand ambassadors, market managers, or what they really are, sales reps, you need people whose primary job is to get your brand into distribution on and off premise, and then make sure it's selling through to consumers in each and every account. In many cases, local market support must be available before importers or distributors will even consider taking your brand or even taking the meeting. So you might think, yeah, that's the distributor's job in some countries. However, in the U.S., the supplier is responsible for shouldering the initial development work, integrating distributor support when you can get it by demonstrating success. That's kind of the way it goes. And if you feel that doesn't apply to you for whatever reason, you may be uh, sponsored by some celebrity, it still is true. So summing up for today, although these points may seem daunting, in the end, it comes down to a few solid principles. Do your research, understand the market, and build a strong, measurable case for your brand to show that you have velocity at retail. Doing that will put your brand ahead of all the others who are still making those rookie mistakes. So again, don't make the same mistakes others have made before you again for the first time.
Okay, that's the book. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. Tune in next week. We're going to be having a conversation with Stevie Kim. And in the weeks following, we're going to be talking with a whole bunch of people involved in the Italian wine and spirits industry, actually, in the United States. And I think you'll find it both eye-opening and enjoyable. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Steve Ray, and this is the Italian Wine Podcast. This is Steve Ray saying thanks again for listening on behalf of the Italian Wine Podcast. Here's <laughs> a funny one for laughs. My tire was thumping. I thought it was a flat. When I looked at the tire, I noticed your cat. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>